Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Let's Be Legendary podcast. This is, what did you call it last time? Let's Be, Let's ex- be Expository. Let's Be Expository, where we are talking about kind of overall thoughts about the season and such like that. And this is season two. Woo! Yeah. Um, not that it isn't obvious or anything, but just FYI, spoilers. For both season one and two. Yeah. And as of this recording... Season two hasn't uh, finished completely. Not yet. We're close, though. Uh, we're very close. It's like four more episodes left for the audience. So we haven't heard anybody's official reactions to the end. <laughs> uh, but, you know. I hope they're good. Are they good, me from the future? I hope they're good. I hope they're good. I hope people liked the cliffhanger we leave them on. The cliffhanger, the overall... Just the whole thing, really. Like, the cliffhanger is just kind of, like, icing on the cake, really. Yeah, like, you know, really, yeah. yeah. I, I, I'd love to know what people think about it. So, you know, if you haven't told us already, please tell us. Because um, this will air after. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're just recording it beforehand. Yep. But on that note, I turn it over to Molly. Okay, well, hello, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> You remember her. She never yeah. used any inspiration. I feel so uninspired. How can I remember her? <laughs> My name is Molly Hexcroft. Hi, Molly Hexcroft. I'm the DM. Oh, I, was gonna, I was just going to ask, what are you doing here? <laughs> oh, I'm bitey uh, today. Yeah, it's shady. Well, yes. Uh, last time we left off with our uh, cliffhanger of Zachariah. Yeah. Zachariah's ghost. Yup. Still sticking around. Yeah. So that was something that caught me completely by surprise. (laughs) There is a picture. You took a picture because we have this plastic skull that we, I just had because I thought like it was around like Halloween time. I was like, haha, there's a plastic skull at Joanne's. I'm going to buy it. And little did I know what did were you in on this? Yeah. Okay. So you two, so you were, you were probably the one that was like, yeah, buy it. Wink. But this was something you had planned for a while, yeah? Yeah. So there's a picture of me holding the skull as just like a prop, and then you go, Selene. And I'm like, ah! There's a picture of me sitting on my couch with it. (laughs) Yeah, because we had been like joking around. I don't remember how much within season one we actually put in there, but I know like off recording, like when we were doing practice RPs, we kept joking around that we were going back to Zachariah's grave to get a skull because funny yeah Mm -hmm. for some really dumb reason we thought that was hilarious and we kept like you kept saying it we kept kept saying it it and it was this really funny and again i don't know how i don't remember off the top of my head how much of that actually made it into the recordings i think we said it once at least just to say this wasn't out of left field it was um i know during poison on the river celine said that she had wished she had gotten a lock of his hair Right. So we decided to go back and get a skull because that's the equivalent, right? Well, I think Celine's thought was that she, this was someone who meant a lot to her at one point in her life and she didn't want him to be just rotting in a potter's field. Mm -hmm. And so she, if I remember correctly, at the end of season one, she actually did ask the undertaker, right? She asks the undertaker about like, is this okay? Like, is Mm -hmm. this, is this, is this grounds for excommunication or, you know, whatever. And that's when she got the hint that something wasn't quite right. Yeah. But initially she, her thought was she would rather him be with someone that cares about him, Mm -hmm. cared and cares about him. Right. Just rotting in the ground where no one really does. Yeah. yeah. And 
I had been planning this like ever since you guys had started like joke RPing, mm-hmm. uh, going back to get him. I was like, okay, if they do, if they do, this is gonna be a thing. <laughs> like he's gonna he's gonna be floating around there. Yeah. So if we hadn't gone back, would he still be floating around there? I'd probably eventually just be like, ah, he's he's they, gone. They now. figured it out now. Yeah. <laughs> But no, you guys went to you guys went to him and dug him up, and the little light floated into his skull. I was so gooped. Yeah, like, oh my funny. god, it was so good. There's only been a couple of times where I've gotten you like that. Yeah, and probably that, about as many as you've gotten me. I know I've gotten you good at least once. Uh huh. Ah, wrong season. <laughs> Next. Don't season. know what you're talking about. Anyway. But yeah, that was that that whole thing was completely unexpected and I thought that you know we were just going it was going to be like a quick side trip and then we'd be off to you know off to the next adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe talk a little bit about Celine's thoughts. Well, this, okay, so this arc was interesting. We touched on it a little bit in the previous discussion about her relationship with time mm-hmm. and how she's very oriented toward the future. And part of that is because she is just naturally very oriented toward the future. Mm-hmm. But a good part of that is also this defense mechanism of I can just ignore my past. Yeah. But this was an instance where her past literally came back to haunt her and she couldn't ignore it. Mm-hmm. And I think... Up until then, I think also as a player, that's when I started kind of really thinking about Zachariah and Celine's relationship and what it was in Blue Peak and how it ended. Mm-hmm. And so it was interesting for me as a player because we'd only been playing for a few months at that point. And yeah. we had we already kind of gone through Talia and Celine's backstories and fleshed them out some. But this was when I really got to solidify some of Celine's personality and her inability or unwillingness to deal with her past became very apparent during this arc and i think it was but i think it was also really good for her to have this element from her past that was really unresolved yeah and be able to resolve it in some way but in doing so she's she also kind of realized that her mechanism of insisting to leave the past behind her was really damaging and as soon as she said goodbye to Zachariah, she realized how much she missed him. And she hadn't realized that before. And maybe it was that she hadn't, up until then, it hadn't crossed her mind or she hadn't given much thought to Zachariah or I don't know, but it was one of those things where as soon as he left, she realized what she'd lost. And in some ways she had to lose him twice. And yeah. it it's something that, she's still kind of trying to contend with because loss has never been a thing for her. She lost her parents when she was little, but she doesn't really see that as a loss because what she gained from it was the identity that she has now. Mm-hmm. And so even though she was sad with it when her parents died because she was seven years old, it wasn't that deep cutting loss, that feeling of, of I'm missing something now. Mm-hmm. This was... And it's interesting to see someone who was so firm in her identity suddenly have to kind of question everything she knows, which is the idea of death doesn't scare her. Yeah. And that she doesn't really mourn the passing. She doesn't really mourn people's passing because she knows that they're going to the Undertaker. But this was the first instance of, yes, I know Zachariah is going to a good place. He's going to the Undertaker, but I miss him still. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily as a lover, but as a friend. 
because one of the things I kind of realized during this arc was that, yeah, they were boyfriend and girlfriend, but they were also like best friends. They were like brain twins. Yeah. They were partners in crime, literally. Yeah. <laughs> like, which one was thinking? Was Zachariah was the idea guy and Celine was the... No, Celine was the idea guy. Yeah. Zachariah was the... Okay, Celine came up with the ideas. Zachariah figured out how to do it. Yeah. And he was really her confidant at the Church of the Mother and she was his. And yeah, it, yeah. it was an interesting development where suddenly she kind of has to question her whole identity in a way. And the other thing that we came up for this arc or I came up with one of us came up with was the way Celine left Blue Peak yeah which was in a quite cowardly way and I did this intentionally because as we've said a lot through this whole thing perfect characters are really boring yeah and so for Celine to leave the way she did with not even saying goodbye just leaving Zachariah a letter yeah was incredibly cowardly and really shitty and I did that intentionally because I didn't want I, I wanted her to have a part in her life and have a thing that she's done in her past that isn't noble and isn't pretty and really was the wrong thing to do because I think that makes for a much more interesting character yeah uh, Zachariah had his hand in her leaving too and that oh. he really alienated her yeah but it would have been a much easier story but much more boring story if she had no fault mm -hmm. in this situation it's yeah. I feel like it's much more interesting that they were growing apart. They were starting to be toxic to one another. And even though it was the right thing to do to leave, it was the wrong way to do it big time. Oh, yeah, definitely. And so I think that makes for a more interesting story. I'm not I'm not above making my character an ass. <laughs> it's fine. It makes for an interesting story. It does. And it, it continues. Makes, it's a very human story mm -hmm. because it's, it's you know, you always have in D&D &D and stories like this, you always have, I murdered someone and now I am atoning. Or you have all these like dramatic backstories of like horrible things that they've done, but also equally as fantastical. But I don't know. That seems like a much more human story. Mm -hmm. Like we I was close to this person and we were growing apart and becoming toxic, but we never really resolved our feelings. And that's something a lot of people can relate to on some level. Either you were Zachariah or you were Celine or yeah. you were both or you were both at some point. Like I know I was mm -hmm. um, on both fronts. And it's 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 a lot more relatable because like there brings this dimension to the fantasy mm -hmm. that it. It, it connects to the audience of like, these aren't just characters doing like crazy, fantastical things. They have emotions. They, they, have, old, they have flaws. They, they have flaws. They've They're, done bad things. Yeah. And they have lives and they've made mistakes. Yeah. And I think those are really, really important. I also think it's interesting that when Zachariah and Celine got to say goodbye, he did call her out. Like, you just left me a note. And she didn't really say, oh, yes, that was terrible. I shouldn't have done that. She tries to almost justify why she did it. Yeah. And I think that's also interesting because there wasn't this whole like, oh, I was so bad to you or anything. It was I had a reason for why I did what I did. Mm -hmm. You as the audience, we as the players, at least I hope we as the players, you as the audience realize that she's in the wrong there. But again, it's a very human reaction. And Celine feels her emotions so keenly that it makes it hard for her to be well, everybody's emotions make it hard for them to be objective, but Celine especially. Mm -hmm. She doesn't she's she has a hard time with separating her emotions from rationality sometimes, a lot of the time. And I like the parallel 
that we have with Celine's relationship with Zachariah versus Celine's relationship with Talia. Mm -hmm. Because where she and Zachariah grew apart and became toxic to each other, she and Talia right now are in kind of the growing pains part of their relationship, but are growing together and not apart. So it creates a nice, interesting parallel, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Without really demonizing either Zachariah or Celine, this was just a relationship and it ended and feelings got hurt and hearts got broken, but no one was the bad guy. No one was abusive. They were just, they were just two people trying to make it work. And uh, sending Zachariah back through the door was another time where I was definitely crying for real. (laughs) Yeah. We were all crying. Like, oh God, just. That was hard. It was so good, though. It was definitely one of those moments that you kind of, like, live for when you're playing D&D of, like, those moments where gut-wrenching emotion and it it was it was definitely it's, it's hard. so heartbreaking but it feels so good yeah it's, yeah. Like, it's such a weird thing to try and describe like i was sobbing it was heart-wrenching it felt so good we live for those moments. Know, like yeah. when you want to be moment. sad what's wrong with you it's like i'm a dnt player that's what's wrong with me yeah and podcaster doubly wrong yeah that scene it, it was hard to it was really hard to keep composure through that scene you did really well though yeah so one more thing with Zachariah that I have a question for you, Molly, yeah. is that Zachariah was a concept I came up with, again, mm-hmm. just kind of as a throwaway thing in season one. And I just kind of handed him off to you. In bringing him back, you had the job of fleshing him out on your own more. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because it's, it's interesting for me because usually when I make characters, I make them and then I decide what they do. This was an instance where I made a character and then said, here, you decide what you want to do with him. Yeah. And the important thing for me when figuring out Zachariah was mistakes mm-hmm. that happened. First, he's so dumb. He, he's, he, he's, we love him, but God, he makes bad, bad life choices. Yeah. The first one, the, really the, the first big one was not traveling like not taking you up on leaving blue peak and i think a lot of that was societal pressure it was an interesting idea too because celine had these grand ideas about here's what i'm going to do and fuck what society thinks and zachariah was just like we're no we're gonna like get a farm we're gonna do all the things that society says we're supposed to do yeah and then you left and he tried doing it again and with Delilah, you mean? Yeah, with, with Delilah, he tried mm-hmm. doing. He tried. He tried the whole settling down thing the whole again. Domestic diva thing. Yeah, and it was just. It wasn't what he wanted. It was, yeah. It's what he was told he wanted. Yeah. And so from there, it's like okay, and the thing with he and Celine being such brain twins, mm-hmm. he left in almost the exact same manner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which. Again, interesting parallels. We don't know a whole lot about Zachariah and Delilah's relationship at this point. We that may, is true. We may or may not find out more about them. But I always saw Celine and Zachariah's relationship, relationship. They were becoming toxic to each other. Zachariah and Delilah did become toxic to one another. Yes, they very much did. And again, I like that's a much more interesting narrative than one was being abused it's like it's boring no they they were definitely not right for each other yeah Delilah wanted to kill him (laughs) if that wasn't an indication (laughs) yeah 
Celine wanted answers. Delilah wanted blood. Yeah. And it was just a continuation of mistakes and trying to figure out, okay, what got him? Because initially he was just sort of supposed to be that kind of throwaway character. Like, oh, yeah, your ex-boyfriend turned out to be this criminal. Yeah. A and notorious criminal. A notorious criminal. Which, how much was he else again? 5,000 gold pieces. <laughs> did you count all of it twice? I did. <laughs> did you make little piles like Scrooge McDuck? Yeah. Did you swim in it? I mean, there wasn't that many, but I could definitely, like, you know, you wait. To, I put, put it in a little... Counted in two cup so you can the, swim in it. I put a little kiddie pool together and just kind of, like, bask in it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but put a foot bath together. Yes. <laughs> but so coming up with more from that point, because he he had done his little expository rant about you know how he had gotten from Blue Peak to where he was, and some of it was true. Some of it we'll find out later was a little bit of a stretch. Slowly, slightly. <laughs> uh, Bringing him back, I had to, like, go further back and make more and make him more of a character. Mm-hmm. One one last point about Zachariah, which is something kind of going back to season one, which I'm sorry, this is supposed to be about season two. But bringing up that expository rant that he had in the cave made me think about this was when we were editing... And as we edit, we, Chris and I often talk about like what was happening and what we were thinking. I remember you said that that was kind of the point where Tali was like, okay, fuck this guy, because he was just talking all about himself. Yeah. Like, I mean, Talia was very much in the mindset of like gold, but you know, she saw the way this was affecting Celine. And of course, then they had a fight on the train or, you know, so she, Talia's kind of kind of tiptoeing around things. It's like, okay, we'll we'll find the guy, figure out what's going on, and if he gives me a good enough excuse, we'll we'll see, you know. But when they got there and he sat there and literally monologued about his life, he didn't ask Celine what she had been up to what had gone on. And a part of that, of course, was this supposed to be a throwaway character, but it worked really well in the narrative. He acted like a selfish asshole towards somebody that he was supposed to be in love with at one point. And again, Tally didn't know the backstory of what was going on, but like er, that was her when her mind was made up. Mm-hmm. She's just like, that's at that point that she just decided this guy's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> or this guy's getting like, I'm not, no, he's yeah. not getting, you know, like nothing. He didn't ask Celine anything. He didn't like, I think he asked her like one thing. It's like at the very beginning when they brought her, when they brought them to him. And then it was immediately like once you're a captive, he just, she was an audience that couldn't walk away mm-hmm. to hear his life fucking story. Nothing about her, not about like nothing. And it was, an, and it was, funny because at the time talia was just like this guy's on a power trip i'm gonna take him down a peg you know kind of a thing Still yeah swinging your dick around <clears throat> damn right but if you look back on that moment it, it makes sense with how the hurt feelings that were behind it it's like i'm it's like you're going to hear me out. Mm-hmm. Like, you get to hear me. I'm still mad at you. Yeah. So I don't give a shit. You're going to hear, you're going to listen to me. Like, yeah. kind of an attitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it was, so it makes sense 
of all of those emotions kind of coalescing into they all fell into place really really nicely yeah and it was it was an accident Mm -hmm. but i think it speaks to the chemistry we have at the table that we can kind of like we can play off of each other so seamlessly and everything does fall into place yeah Yeah. and then when he's the little ghost spirit floating around he himself is still like dealing with feelings that he has towards Celine. Mm-hmm. Celine's still dealing with hers that she didn't know she still had. Yeah. Oh, what a mess. Kids. <laughs> yeah. That was kind of Talia's reaction to that whole situation. <laughs> it's like, you guys are young. <laughs> yeah, because Zachary would have been 24 when he died. Yeah, yeah. They were babies. And yeah, that's... I mean, Talia doesn't really have a lot of experiences with long-term relationships. I think the longest relationship she's ever had, aside from Celine, has been like two months. Um, you could barely call that a relationship. And that wasn't really a relationship. You know, so she has it like, Celine has been her first long-term relationship. But Talia's had a lot more experience when it comes to emotions and trying to navigate them around. And it's something that gets dropped throughout the entirety of the game. So it's not too much of a spoiler, but Talia drops hints kind of constantly that the way that she grew up is much, much different than the rest of the world. And one of those things is they handled emotions in her uh, community extremely differently. The way that I play werewolves is they are very emotional creatures, very emotional. So it's really easy if you don't know what you're doing to kind of, you know, go off the handle. If you don't have a pack and a community that can help you through those emotions, when you shift, your emotions are hog wild. Mm-hmm. Like they are, they take you over and you don't know what you're doing and you literally become an animal. So the way that I deal with the werewolf emotions is that these are extremely emotional creatures. They're very tactile. They are in need of companionship and things like that. But they also have a lot of practice controlling their emotions not necessarily keeping them in like keeping them bottled up but working through them mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. talia consistently has been the one have you talked to them and and oh god celine bottles so yeah. hard she bottles her emotions so much uh, talia is so frustrated by that because that's not the way she grew up her entire pack was like are you crying that's okay you need to go cry. Yeah. Are you are you upset? That's okay. Tell me why you're upset. And that could that could speak to Celine's time at the cathedral because I doubt crying was very encouraged at the cathedral of the mother. Not not really. Well, no. when you've got that many kids and like they're all crying or one of them's crying, the easiest solution is like stop crying. You know, I don't have time for this. Yeah, I've got how many other kids to deal with. Yeah. So it was very it it was fun. It's kind of fun when Celine gets in these moments of like. I can't talk. And then there's Talia's going, you know, it'll make everything better if you just open your fucking mouth and talk. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think she played counselor most of that time. <laughs> yeah. With her and with that whole arc, mm-hmm. aside from the time they went to her pack. Yeah. And that will never change. Never. <laughs> but yeah, other than that, she played counselor. But speaking of going to Talia's pack. Right. We get a look at what happened that fateful night 19 years ago. Woof. Woof. Yeah. That was that was hard. That was one of the more harder 
that actually told me that one, this game was going to be really intense in some parts, mm -hmm. and two, I was going to have to do some crazy amounts of acting. <laughs> and you do so well. You do. Thank you. I appreciate it. I <laughs> I was going to say, no, I don't, but I got to yeah, stop that. Knock that shit off. Yeah. I do. I, you're so good. You, you're so good that I have to have a sticky note on the back of. Right. <laughs> I have to have a sticky note on the, my DM screen reminding me that you are acting so I don't feel bad. <laughs> you should, you should not, obviously not get any spoilers, but you should talk about that for a second because this was one of those moments where the moment that little girl said, we are the pack. My eyes started watering and it was like not holding back any emotion. Yeah. Um, and I do that constantly yeah. when there's like emotional moments. No, so Chris can like turn on the tears at like a fucking drop of a hat. <laughs> And They're real. They, yeah, and they are. And that's that's part of the problem <laughs> is I have difficulty with remembering empathy because out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. So uh -huh. when things are in direct line of sight of me, though, it is very much just like, oh, I'm making someone feel bad. <laughs> So I think it's less have to do with empathy and more have to do with compassion. Probably, yeah. There have been a number of times where I have actually pulled back or tried to insert something helpful into the situation to sometimes the detriment of the story, even. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, we'll get to that when it comes to it. But there have been there have been a couple of times. Again, we have really free communication at the table, so if we're like, "Hey, I've been noticing this." Mm -hmm. We're pretty good. I mean, I will say pretty good. Sometimes, you know, we're not, I'm not always great at it. But um, there have been times where I've just like, hey, I've noticed this and you don't need to do that, which is consequence of an action will lead to a because I have such a visceral reaction to it. Molly will try and compensate by saying it's no like, it's okay it's okay yeah here here's our solution so you don't have to feel so bad and she did that the, she did that a couple of times before i'm like you don't have to do that yeah and thus a sticky note <laughs> thus we have a sticky note on her dm screen that literally says it's okay yeah i'm acting yeah you know but torture them. Torture yeah. me. You know, yeah. it's, 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 and it's not necessarily like, you know, pull all the shit on Talia. It's mostly the, like, if something happens and there's a consequence to that action, go with it. Don't, yeah. don't pull back. You don't need to. Yeah. You know, shit happens in a story and bad things happen in a story and it's okay. They'll get over it mm -hmm. or they'll, they'll deal with those emotions, but you have to let them deal with them. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, you don't have to put it like, no, 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 here, here, here. Yeah. It's like, no, 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 I don't want it. I want to cry about it for another hour, but yeah. I'll be good. You know, mm -hmm. it adds care. It does. Yeah. It, it really does. And we, like, and like you were saying, we do have really free communication at the table and, one thing that we've done a lot is like, if there's something that bothers one of us, we'll bring it up. Oh yeah. Yeah, there've been a couple of times where I've been like, mm, this, I didn't like this and here's why. Mm -hmm. So yeah. 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 And we've all done that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've all done that. We'll continue to do it. Yeah, you know, like in my game, that's gonna happen, I guarantee. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we end up doing that. Because, you know, 
DMs are humans and we make mistakes and sometimes we're there, somebody else is going to catch something that we weren't aware of. I remember there was one thing that you had no idea you did, Molly. Not to go too off topic, but it was just a reminder that we brought. I brought something up to you and you were like, oh my God. Right. It was actually the broker. Oh, was it the broker? Oh, okay. I mentioned to you, it's just like, I, I really dig the whole like biblical imagery the broker um, kind of a thing and you're like wait what it's like well he's got a snake for his deal stuff then he's like eating an he's, apple he's eating an apple he represents temptation he's, he's in a garden, garden. And, and Molly was just like oh, oh my god yeah so that was actually accidental but it was really cool imagery. Yeah. Um, I actually hearken that, like, it, it kind of feels like a mix of Greek mythology and Christian mythology. Yeah. Where you kind of, like, splice the idea of, like, Hades and, uh, the de- you know, quote unquote, the devil. Yeah. You know, together. And it, it makes a really interesting mix for a character. I get the feeling, like, at least at this part of the story, that the broker isn't necessarily evil, but he is definitely out for him fucking his fucking self. Oh, definitely. And we don't know what he's up to. Yeah. So. But, but uh, getting a little... Getting, getting, sorry, that yeah, was getting, way sidetracked. Sorry. Uh, getting back on track to Talia and her pack, we get literally a vision of what happened that night. Ouch. Of exactly what happened. And I think that was that moment. Yeah, it was at that moment that you learned that the gun that you had, Retribution, was the gun that actually killed, killed your father. father. Yeah, that was the moment. Yeah. I figured that out. Um, I know we had... Did we talk about that before? I don't think... I don't think we had. I don't remember. But it was such a really, f- like, good element to it. It's like... She's been carrying around the gun that murdered her father. Yeah. And it was such a, like, it gave new meaning to retribution. Yeah. And it was so weird. Or weird in that good way of, like, I don't know where to put this as far as her emotions go because she can't let it go. Yeah. It's like, this is the symbol of, like, her entire quest yeah. She can't get rid of it, even though it literally mur- it killed her father. Yeah. Or it was the tool that killed her father, since the man himself killed her father. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what she fixated on the most, is like, I know who it was. I know specifically who it was. Mm-hmm. Someone named Jim. Um, I will say that I'm really good about, like, picking up on, like, small little details, but I'm totally missed that Jim is Jim Walker. <laughs> Until Megzi was just like... It's like, oh, it's Jim Walker. She's like, you're just now figuring that out. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, shut the fuck up. So, well, we'll get, we'll get into that a little bit later. That's a little bit later, yes. But coming out of that, like, what were some of your thoughts? Like, getting that kind of information because you knew at that point you knew Leroy Brown was one of them. Yeah, but you had gotten another name and at least descriptions of the other two. Right. There was a lot of information in that part. Mm -hmm. And she fixated very, like, there's a couple of things that she fixated on. The gun was almost an afterthought. Mm -hmm. This is the thing. And I don't think we spent too much time on it as much as she kind of internally kind of just went, this is the thing. This is like she she saw it as a representation of like her entire quest. 
Um, but the thing I think she fixated on the most is one, she had another name and then a description, which before she didn't really have specifics of. She had an idea. She knew there were three people. Mm-hmm. She knew two of them were men. One of them was a woman. She knew one of them was very tall, but it was dark. She was a child. She was in a panic. Like one of the guys was covered in blood. Yeah. Like she hadn't had any specifics, but now here's some specifics. Um, the other thing she fixated on was actually what her pack said to her. Yeah. And that kind of struck her very weirdly, which is like, you know, you're not doing this for us. You're doing it for yourself. And that like snowballed into her family's disappointed in her because she's not doing like what she's doing is not what they wanted her to do. And she didn't really know how to handle that very well. Yeah. And that kind of like that point kind of sticks with her pretty hard throughout the rest of the season. Yeah. And I think part of that, like the reason they had said that was it was revenge. I know that you had said previously one thing that uh, if you could do different would be to change the start transferring that narrative a bit earlier that Talia's revenge wasn't just about revenge. It was about justice. Mm -hmm. And I think that would, that that would have changed this scenario a little bit uh, because me as the DM, what I was seeing was Talia fixated on this revenge, on Mm -hmm. this getting to the people that had destroyed her, destroyed her village, destroyed her pack, killed her family. And, it wasn't about it wasn't necessarily about justice it was about revenge right and i think that like we were able to kind of um like we'll talk about a little later it it started out like these three people need to die Mm -hmm. for you know to pay for what they've done yeah so it wasn't necessarily like it's always been a revenge story but it was the revenge of like you did like you did something wrong you need to pay the price yeah and that has always been the narrative and then what kind of got lost and i wish i would have made it more clear and that was mostly on me was that as we started learning that this wasn't just these three people there was an entire organization and they were still hurting people yeah it went beyond just those three people need to die yeah it became these people need to go down. Yeah. And they need to be stopped. They need to be stopped. Yeah. Like they and they need to be brought to justice. They need to be brought to justice. And to have her pack or this thing that said we are the pack tell her that like this wasn't about justice. This is about your personal revenge. As if that was a bad thing. I think that really stuck with her. Mm. Because one of the things that we kind of also went with um, at least as far as I was, con- like, as far as Tally and Celine specifically were concerned, is that Celine never, one of the things I liked about Celine is that she never told Talia that revenge is bad because it wasn't. Talia had every justifiable reason to seek out these three people to confront them about what they did. Mm-hmm, definitely. And those types of revenge stories, like everybody has their own opinion about revenge and all that fun stuff, but this was justified and it really and i think it really struck her very deeply that her pack didn't not support her but like saw her as just trying to like 
I still I still don't know what her back was trying to get at. Actually, like just just in the in the in the general sense, it just felt like they didn't see what she was trying to do, and we're almost still denying what the Venasi were doing. That's how it felt to her. But I think that kind of goes in hand with the thing that Talia comes to resent about her pack is that they were so isolationist yeah. that yeah. whatever was happening out in the world didn't matter. And so the Venasi didn't matter. All that mattered was what was going on in that community. Yeah. And that, that was a huge problem that she grows to have with her pack and has a lot of resentment towards them and her father because her father was technically her father and mother were technically in charge mm -hmm. so she has some feelings about that definitely and i will take responsibility for the pack kind of like for, for that attitude that the pack had because mm -hmm. obviously i made them you that came way. up with it yeah i think uh, part of it was my, me not understanding Talia's motivations ah, okay. uh, at that point. But so, I think it well it still works well because the pack doesn't didn't either. Yeah, exactly. And that's one that's one thing that I've actually like really tried to do during the story is that the supernatural is not always correct. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the ghostly apparition of your pack can have an opinion. <laughs> it's not a good one, but it's a, like it's, everybody's got an asshole and everybody's got an opinion. Yeah. You know, um, but I think that works in the grand scheme of things. And you could also interpret that as them trying to like knowing how big of a threat the Venasi were. And like you could, you could interpret it two ways of like not understanding it. Mm -hmm. And... Because tech, like like you said, it's like they don't understand what Tally is going for because they're dead. Yeah, like they went through it, but they're okay now and they're at peace. There's a privilege in being passed on. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, you know, you don't need to do that anymore. Just live your life yeah. and stop. You know, or you could interpret it as um, they know how big of a threat the Venasi are and. There's a chance that you might also die, and we don't want you to do that. So yeah. maybe discouraging her from doing that, um, which underestimates her. It does, yeah. So either way, like there are, <laughs> like I, I, I hope it comes across as we keep going that her pack was wrong. Yeah, they were in the wrong for knowing what was going on and not doing anything about it. Yeah, definitely. And Talia takes that position extremely hard, like. This was wrong. You knew it was wrong and you didn't do anything about it. And this was the consequence. Yes, those people are in the wrong, but you were also in the wrong for not at least trying to do something. Yeah. And because she'd always been taught that community was everything, but there were other communities out there that were dying and we didn't say anything. Yeah. We didn't try to help. We didn't do anything because it wasn't us that it was happening to. And so that that's at a point that she takes extremely seriously. Yeah. As we keep going. Definitely. I remember Celine's reaction when this whole thing happened was, you know, Talia was extremely like, they're telling me my revenge is just for me and I'm being selfish. And Celine was kind of like, okay, so your revenge is just for you. You deserve that. Yeah. Like, so they can think that. <laughs> they can be right. They, they, might, can. they might even be right about that. So... Yeah, and that's, I actually really like that, that, that Celine was just like, who cares if it's just for you? You, you're, you're allowed. Yeah. You know, sometimes revenge store, it's like, you know, revenge is a dish fest, surf cold. It's like, sometimes they fucking deserve it. Yeah. 
So yeah, that's kind of where I was at with that whole. It was really good. It was a really good scene. Yeah, and it worked really, really well um, in the grand scheme of things. And it was one of the moments that I had to really pull out the acting. Oh boy! Yeah, yeah acting you, and it, it it acting through a tra- like acting while your voice is wavering and making it sound like it's supposed to sound. Yeah, during that moment is actually kind of difficult. You did a great job, though. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Well, uh, moving on from we head back down to Airpike to meet someone that, that we met back in season one. Who uh, had a little something to do with our with, with with our with our skull friend over here? Yeah. So we meet with Delilah. Yeah. <laughs> Bring that character back in. Yeah, and also starts her ever shifting accent. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have a couple characters that you keep forgetting their accents, and it's it's almost endearing at this point. I think they they also just like like canonically just can't remember how to talk. Yeah, because there it's District One has so many different accents. Just like how how, how do I how, how do I talk? <laughs> yeah. Uh. Yeah. At one point. I don't remember. I think it was in season two when when Chris you had to. Play Talia imitating Celine. So you had to create an like like speak with an accent imitating a different accent, accent that wasn't your accent, and it was hilarious. <laughs> I don't. I can't remember oh. what I did. It was really good though. Yeah. Like, it was really funny. I remember that. Uh, so Delilah comes back. Because you guys had sent a message to her. And hey there, Delilah. Yeah. Hey there, Delilah. Yep. What's it like in Airpike City? <laughs> I think it was because we, we we needed to find information that we didn't know how to get. Yeah. Or we needed That's to find... Like, do we know any rogues? Yeah, that was the problem. <laughs> is like we were playing two characters that mostly stayed on the right side of the law. Mm-hmm. For the most part, they kind of skirted it. But now that they were DMP, they really were like kind of sticklers about like, all right, we're not going to do anything too illegal. Um, do we know anyone that can do things that are illegal? Yeah, so we needed to like find, it's like, who do we know that's a fucking rogue? And then it like kind of dawned on us, we could ask Delilah. Yeah. That's the closest. She owes, we, us, she owes us a favor for letting her go. She owes us, yeah. yeah. So, we, you know, we just, it was one of those, let's take a chance on it and see if we, we can get anything. Because maybe like she's a rogue type, I think, but we weren't sure. Yeah. And she could uh, like, have had nothing to do with anything. That was the one time that she did a thing where she wanted to just go get Zachariah's gold and then kill us because we got it first uh-huh. or whatever the have you. And then that could be it. Then yeah. she could just disappear into society. So we got kind of lucky with that, that she not only was still operating that way, but was very good at what she did. Oh, definitely. She was already kind of working for Brown at that point. Oh, man. I remember when that was the reveal where uh, she was I was like, who do you work for? It's not Leroy Brown. And she's like, oh, damn it. You ruined the surprise. It was like, oh, shit. <sighs> but then it was like, oh, she has no loyalty to him. No. I really liked that about her character. 
Like, no, like her loyalty. She is a really good example of a chaotic neutral character. Yeah. Where her loyalty is very strictly on herself. Yeah. And her own self-interest. I know that uh, during the trial, uh, we'll get into that later, but Celine was like, sorry for, sorry about your job. Like, and she's like, whatever, there's always crime. Yeah. <laughs> like, so? There's always crime to be done. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Just because oh. like, Brown's out of business, going to be out of business. Is, Doesn't mean I'm out of work. Yeah. One of the things I really liked, though, was in that conversation, Talia kind of realizes, I think it's a good character growth moment where, because uh, up until this time, she's kind of displayed this sort of like, I've only been really thinking about, you know, how stuff impacts me because that's literally how I've been living and she's slowly learning to not do that because, you know, she now has, you know, Celine to think about. But like that was the first time I think it dawned on her. They also have a kid to think about. And yeah. this like is going to impact their kid a lot. Yeah. And she had this like moment of panic and she asked Delilah, like, does he know about our kid? Does he know about our kid? And if he doesn't, I will pay you to keep him qui- to keep him quiet. And she had to say, it's like, OK. He's not going to hear about it from me. Unless I hear that he's about to hear about it, in which case he is going to hear it from me. But then yeah. she was also going to tell us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that was a really cool... That, that that was one of those moments that like told me Delilah had a lot more depth than just being the chaotic neutral, like, sure, I'm the rogue type. You yeah. Know? It also made her incredibly consistent in that she has zero loyalty to anybody but herself mm-hmm. because she saw the she understood the need to protect our kid mm-hmm. but she also wasn't going to put the protection of Jareth above her own well-being yeah so yeah. it was it's a testament to one what a skilled rogue she is because she was able to come up with a compromise that that helped both us and her yeah and also showed she had just like zero loyalty to brown like he was literally just the paycheck just paycheck and yeah and fuck him <laughs> Yeah. I was just like, okay, I'm not, I won't tell him unless I hear that he's about to hear about it, in which case he's going to hear it from me because I'm supposed to be the one feeding him information. Right. Yeah. And it will also like kind of endanger her position in that because there was that chance that he might come to the correct assumption that she was hiding things from him. Yeah. And so, yeah, good job. Yeah. I, good call. Yeah. That was a really good moment. It's one of one of my favorite moments as far as like character defining moments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did you feel? Like here's a character that was almost a throwaway character. Another one. Yeah, another <laughs> throwaway character. And we're just like, ooh, let's bring this one back in. I mean, you mean like every Like other, all of the NPCs? Every NPC that you guys have come across now. Had you figured out at this point that we kind of like really like NPCs? <laughs> I think I was starting to get the inkling, although I just, I, I had, I could have no idea exactly how far it would go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like we just to collect them. You adopt Jareth. After spending a day with him. Yeah. Like, you're mine now. It didn't now. take much. You're my son now. Oh, uh, I'm still so glad about that because he's, he's my favorite. I love Jareth. 
but uh, Delilah, I I really like Delilah. Delilah is also one of I say this every fucking NPC, but um, <laughs> they're all your favorites. They're all my favorites. It's, it's true every time you say it because they are all your favorites. Yeah, I I just I I like the variety we have. We have a lot of variety. There's a couple characters that overlap as far as like skills and things like that, but all of them have very distinct. I can't think of one that's like a copy paste. Yeah. The closest four that you can, if you squint, maybe they're similar. Um, Nikki and Raven kind of have a very, like, they have overlapping skill set. Uh-huh. But they have such very distinct personalities, even though their voices kind of can sound the same sometimes. And uh, again, maybe Nikki- Talden and Ernest, again, if you squint, but, they're ha- but they have such vastly different... They're, I mean, with both sets of characters, they're both in the same field, but have such uh, diversified skills within that field. Yeah. And they mean such different things to us as players. Yeah. And as to the characters. So we have so many NPCs that do so many really cool things. And, you know, you just want to keep them. Well, after that meeting with Delilah. Head down to Crankshaft. Yeah. Right. Oh my God, I almost forgot. <laughs> to check out those orc raids. Yeah. And that's actually something I wanted to talk about, especially because in it, both the beta test and the alpha test of uh, there's an alpha test. It was one game. It was a literal, ah. it was a literal one shot. Uh, but there was an alpha test of Feywild West, and in that alpha test, th- this this is a testament to how much I've grown in the last couple of years. Because in that alpha test, orcs were essentially a bad metaphor for Native Americans. Ooh. Ooh. That's that's a pretty common trap that a lot of people that don't really take social justice or media criticism into into account is... I mean, orcs were kind of like the way that a lot of D&D kind of portrays them. They're either an allegory for like African tribes or Native American tribes. Yeah. And it's gross. Yeah. It's gross. In the beta test, they weren't an allegory for Native American tribes. At the same time, though, they still were very much kind of like the classic orc, uh, big, tough, evil, uh, tending tending towards evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to say savage, but that's noble. Kind of... Noble savage is is a it's a legitimate trope. Okay, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. a trope that exists. Yeah. yeah. Savage, savage is a trope. It's it's yeah, it's that, a legitimate idea of media scholarship. Yeah. So mm-hmm. big, tough, savage type orcs, mm-hmm. and they had actually been attacking Crankshaft. Something that stayed the same, however, was that the forty second was in on it. Ah, it was this exchange. The forty second were giving them money and arms. To essentially stay stage attacks mm. on crankshaft, it was this big charade that the that the beta test players had to figure out. Interesting. Yeah, but coming into it again, I knew that I didn't want to do that. I wanted to portray orcs differently, and unfortunately, we don't really get to see any orcs until, like, season three. Oh, season... Yeah, season four, right? Season four is when officially orcs show up. So, yeah, we don't even really get to see any orcs until season four. So... 
having like this idea that despite the Great Wars being a couple hundred years ago now, with the long lived races like dwarves and halflings and even gnomes, there are people alive who saw those wars. Mm -hmm. And so there's definitely this idea that has been passed down that orcs are savage. Yeah. War parties and raiding parties are definitely still a everyday common thing. Mm -hmm. So with these rumors spreading, the two of you headed over to Crankshaft mm -hmm. to figure out what was going on and learned that not not quite everything was uh was what it seemed. Yeah. That was interesting because I feel like we as players had a bit more inkling as to what was going on than our characters did. Mm. At least that's how I remember it. What about you? I remember I I think we I mean we definitely knew like as char as characters that this wasn't orc raids. We had this inkling that something wasn't right about this. We were getting fed information almost immediately that if Crankshaft turns the, the vote to Brown, then Brown was most likely going to win because Crankshaft is now high, is like well off enough. Right. Uh, I think we actually did have the inkling as players or as characters too, because didn't we talk to somebody who was going to... Who gave us like there was gonna be something in trouble, something bad happening in Crankshaft? Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, Venasi member that you uh, tortured. tortured to death. <laughs> yeah, remember that? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We got we we had already known yeah. that something was going down in Crankshaft, and, and we knew it wasn't like we knew for a fact it wasn't orcs. It was just finding the evidence yeah. that we needed. And I, I think Delilah confirmed it as well that there was something. Yeah, going she was just down. like, you know, there's not orcs, right? <laughs> or something along those lines. Yeah. And we're like, yeah, we know. And, and I think that like I had kind of done that on purpose because I wanted the two of you as both players and characters to know that I wasn't going to be falling into the usual trope about orcs. It also made it interesting for us as characters because we knew more about this than what everyone in Crankshaft thought, but we couldn't just come in and say it because yeah. it's like, then it's going to be our word against theirs that yeah. like... We have no proof. Yeah, we have dude. no we have no proof. So we have to we have to go in saying we're investigating these orc raiding parties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely uh. what's going on. I I think that that was one of the first instances where we like came up with a plan. We've had moments like these in the games where we're just like, I have a plan. Let's see if it works. Uh -huh. And we basically went on a campaign. Of helping people. Yeah. Of being extremely helpful. Because um, I think we heard from Juliana that they basically, the 42nd came in and are just like, you know. Being rude. Being rude and just, you know, these are like, like you, we're doing all of you a favor and, you know, just being assholes. Okay. If we're going to win these people over, we need to do it the right way. So I think Talia came up with this idea we're going to go be nice to people mm -hmm. and try and like plant seeds of discontent, like discontent with the 42nd. So by the time we're ready to say, here's the proof we have, we've already got the town on our side as like knowing those nice DMP members. that Because no one really liked us. how the, the 42nd was treating them, but they thought, well, they're protecting us. So exactly. we'll just kind of tolerate whatever. We'll just pretend like 
the bad treatment. We'll just pretend like they're not being complete asswipes to us. Yeah. And I thought that that was a fun moment of brilliance. It's like, this is gonna, this is gonna work because fighting is not always the answer. And I, I really like those moments of innovation that it's just like, let's see if this works. Yeah. Let's circumvent things from the get-go. On the subject of innovation, one of my favorite parts of this arc was when Mayor Wendellwood was talking to a crowd of people and Celine was using thaumaturgy to make <laughs> other voices of dissent in yeah. the crowd. And then as, as more and more people started questioning Mayor Wendellwood, she snuck up behind the auctioneer's block and cast Zone of Truth. That was so... <laughs> that was so good. Oh. That was sneaky. Yep. Oh. Uh, he was failing, like, every perception check, mm -hmm. and, like, suddenly Zone of Truth goes up, and he's just like, I can't lie. I know I can't lie. Why the f- What? What is happening? <laughs> Poor Wendell Wood. And of course, Lena's hiding like, yeah. behind the auctioneer's block, and so she's well out of sight. Yeah. And, oh, man, that was fun. That was, oh, that was some good play there. That, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a real hard time with being crafty like that with, with mechanics, but that was one time where I actually was crafty with mechanics, so yay me. Yeah, that, that was that was really good. But talking about Wendell Wood, mm -hmm. uh, I think he ended up kind of surprising you guys mm -hmm. uh, with how he was actually able to be swayed by evidence. Yeah. I was very surprised. I was not expecting that. Like, yeah. Because most of the time when you've got these, like, you know, mayor-type characters or authority-type characters that aren't already on your side, it's very hard to persuade them. Yeah. And the fact that he was was I you, think that you took him out you, you took him out there and he saw members of the 42nd try to kill him yeah that's pretty solid evidence but as we have learned with people in this world some people are so stuck in their perceptions of things that even if it's like these members of the 42nd are trying to kill you it's like no they're fine it's like no 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 this this you set this up you said those people aren't members of the 42nd. They're... Totally a shooter. They're, they're paid... Shoot, they're paid protesters, though. <laughs> oh, my God! <laughs> I was legit thinking that that might be a problem. Like, yeah. that might... He might do that, but he surprised me. Um, he surprised me a lot. And I think that's one of the things why, like, Wendell Wood becomes this, like, endearing figure. Not to spoil anything, but he uh -huh. does come back. Him, yeah. and him and Grant make an appearance back. Mm -hmm. And... He because and he endeared to us like it was very endearing to like have a, a somebody in a th in an authority that was willing to listen. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I really liked that about his character. <laughs> the fantasies we get to have in oh, our game. I know, right? Oh. <laughs> like Author people, authority figures like trying to do their like trying to do what's right and you know listening elected to evidence. officials listening. God, what what a wonderful world this is. <laughs> 2018 was a long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, one thing with this arc during the editing process, which one thing we haven't really talked about is how we come up with the names for the different arcs and how when we had when we first kind of break up the recordings into episodes and break them into arcs, a lot of times they just kind of placeholder names. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for a while this was like back to Crankshaft or something like that. And, and uh, I forget what this was, but I remember thinking like, this th uh, this name could be a little bit better because we try to give that some arcs are just like, eh. 
we'll just say what happens in them. But other ones have kind of more poignant names. I'm like, this one could have a more poignant name. And so I remember thinking on it for a while. And that's when I came up with the burden of proof. Yeah. And which has several different meanings in this arc in that one, it's the burden of having to prove something, but also the burden of having proof. Yeah. So it was a burden for Talia and Celine to come up with the proof, but a burden on Wendell would once he had the proof to do the right thing. Yeah, because it's like, okay, I now I know the truth. What am I going to do with this information? And it's also just like a legal term. So it was just like, ah, there it is. That's yeah. the one. It was really good. Mm -hmm. You've done that a couple of times where, because I'll just throw, like when um, in the first stage of editing, which was where I'm taking out huge chunks of time where we go to the bathroom or we go off on an obvious tangent, like all of the bits and pieces that what happened during a normal D&D game, huge chunks of that are taken out so that when we get into the second part of editing, we're editing out ums and small breaks in conversation, clearing of throats, or working on pacing. Mm -hmm. So so a lot of the pacing stuff happens in, C in the second editing process. But I break things up in the first editing process where I'm just like, this is what happened in this arc. It, I'll throw it out there. Mm -hmm. You know, we go off into the desert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of a thing. So Magsy has kind of been the one going, I don't like that name. Let's change we can, it. We can do better. We yeah. can do better. And a lot of times it'll come to me or come to one of us while we're editing and kind of we have time to actually listen to what happens in the arc and come up with something that's a little more clever or a little more applicable. The uh, At the end, we'll get to the trial bit, but at the end, the there are two arcs at the very end of season two, uh, the moment of truth and... There's In Service of Justice. In Service of Justice and the Moment of Truth. That used to be one arc entitled The Trial. <laughs> but the moment Boring, of no? But The Moment of Truth also has that double meaning. Yeah. Where it's, it, and, and yeah, that was, I like yeah. that one too. But we'll get to the trial. Mm -hmm. But like, yeah. it's just that that's kind of like, they can start off really boring or we can have moments of brilliance like sock puppets and ragdolls yeah. immediately. Like that was you again. That was you. Was that me? That was you. No, it wasn't. Yeah, it was. That was not me. I had Beware the Fellow. You had Beware the Fellow, okay. Yeah. And, okay, I had Sock Pops and Ragdolls. I, I'm pretty sure that was you, but no, I was I'll I will take credit for that. Mm -hmm. Sure. <laughs> Why the fuck not? Another thing about Wendell Wood that I really liked was this idea that not only did he have to admit that he was wrong, he went ahead and was like, okay, I'm stepping down as mayor now. Yeah. <laughs> that was shady. No, but, it, but it, 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 it speaks to how, like... Yeah, he's a decent dude, but he's still a politician. Oh, and he's yeah. still playing the game. Yeah, he knew that if he didn't step down, there was going to be a demand for his removal. And this was really the only way he could continue his career. Yeah, it's like, to... I'm going to step down and run again. And if the town sees me fit, I will continue my mayorship. Shady as shit, but it worked. Brilliant. It, it was yeah. That's how you play the Game of Thrones. Yeah. yeah. I think that, that, and that's one of the things I love. I really love about your NPCs is they're not just one-dimensional. Yeah. And the ones that are one-dimensional, we never see again. Yeah. But the ones that we have to interact with um, that we've kind of latched onto, they have this, like, subtle dimension to them of, you know, the guy that's like praising the 42nd then has to admit that he's wrong, but then has to like think, how do I still be the man? How do I continue my career? Yeah. yeah. And, and goes through the whole, and it was such a, it was a really cool move. Like, and a lot of people aren't going to like pick up on that, but 
But it was such a cool, subtle way of introducing this character to everybody of like, he's extremely smart. Yeah. He might have been tricked, but he's intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. He changed his mind. So that shows that he, you know, he also has emotional intelligence. He was able to admit that he was wrong. And then he got a way around all of that to make sure that he was still in power. That's a really cool little character. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not little. That's a really cool character. Yeah. And I really like it's it it shows growth and emotion. Also, I want to say the sexual tension going on between Grimm and Wendell Wood was not fucking subtle. I know. Not even a little. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the sass going between back and forth between those two. That was that was brilliant. No, what was hilarious is I hadn't even decided there were a couple at that point. I know. That's the funny part. Yeah. Like, I think it was, uh, like, it was during the trial. Again, we'll get to the trial, but, like, in the moment of, I think it was you. Yeah. Who was just like, oh, so congratulations. And it's like, wait, what? And both of us went, wait, what? And then at that moment, we decided, yeah. 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 Fuck yeah. And now I look, and then I was editing, it's like, wow, that was not... Yeah, that like that was dripping. I think it was the moment it was it was the moment where Wendell Wood said, it's just like, you know, let's just say for the sake of argument that you're wrong. I know this is difficult for you to understand, and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> oh, oh girl, you two need to bone. Like, <laughs> like you got some aggression. You definitely need to take that out on each other. <laughs> I mean, but that's just me. I thought that I that know, was really hard for you to understand, Grim. Wow. Oh my God. That is not subtle. Just funny to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, so moving on from Wendellwood, we get into the events of exposing the 42nd and Melody. Mm, and the battle for Crankshaft. Yeah, that that fight. And there was there was a lot there was a lot in there that I actually wish I had done differently, especially with the combat. Like what? I kind of wished that I had, instead of bringing in tons of characters and trying to showcase these characters in combat, that I had instead, like, focused on the two of you. Mm. And still, like, show uh, the DMP members that had, that had arrived and the townsfolk still coordinating, but... Not do the, like, turn-by-turn combat. Mm, Yeah. Because that's one thing that I've come to discover with larger-scale combat, especially when we're doing this podcast setting. Turn-by-turn combat just can turn into such a drag and such a time drain. It was something that I had started to learn back in Yalden, uh, but really, really noticed here in uh, the crankshaft battle. Well, for what it's worth, it doesn't doesn't play like that. It plays pretty fun. It, it plays re- like when we're sitting at the table, it plays really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, although when it comes to editing it and and trying to like keep everything straight and then listening to it, it can seem for the audience, I think, very like it, I won't lie. Combat is the hardest thing to edit for me personally. Yeah. Because I have to, the way that I look at it is while things are not moving very fast at the table, 
we are still having fun and you can hear that in our voices. Yeah. Or frustrated, depending on who's making their roles. <laughs> yeah. As much fun as we're having, when I have to edit or when Molly had to edit it down, it was one of the hardest things to do because we have to make sure it stays very fast paced. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you're listening to it, it sounds like we're going one, two, three, four, five, six. Like, that's not how it was at the table, but we have to edit it that way to make sure that people are still interested. And when you've got all of these NPCs also doing something, and then Molly also one of one of the things that um, you know I remember you had a hard time with was it was harder for you to describe certain things, especially yeah. in a combat setting. Yeah, and I, like it I was one that, of our earlier yeah. mistakes. Yeah, I think I think that's something I've gotten better about. But I think so too. Yeah, um, you've also made combat a lot more streamlined in later seasons. Mm-hmm. I know in season three we've got a couple combat scenarios, but that have a lot of people in them. So I think you're still like trying to figure out how things are going to work with that. Yeah, but definitely in later seasons it becomes a lot more streamlined. Yeah. And I I think a lot more energetic. I think so, too. Yeah. I've complained about it enough on Discord. Editing editing combat is a slog. Yeah. And it can get very, very tedious. Because, again, we have to keep everything fast-paced. Whereas conversation, we can have pauses. And yeah. we can have, like, moments of, like, letting something punctuate. And people will be, like, having a conversation back and forth. And, you you know, you just need to edit out the ums and things like that. Or, like, breaks in conversation. But combat, it is constant. And yeah. you have to keep track of things. So. Moving on from the combat, unless there was anything. The Undertaker. The Undertaker. We get the first. Right. We get the first glimpse of The Undertaker. Yeah. Which I loved that because it was one of those things where Celine at first was like, oh my God, is is that? And then she goes in and it's like, oh no, it's just the town undertaker. Oh yeah, of course. Oh, that's so dumb. Why did I think that? And then, like, we don't have a town undertaker. That's the doc. Runs back. <laughs> yeah. And, and like this whole time Celine has talked about how the undertaker is her dad and he, she's his favorite and all this stuff. But this was the first time when I think she goes back in and she's like, he knows my name. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was very cute. He re- he remembered me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. It was so cute. <laughs> it was so sweet. Uh, but also, <laughs> well, speaking of The Undertaker, there was a very important death that happened during all that combat. Yes. First name crossed off the list. Constance Melody, the ex-constable. Yep. Yeah. That was a that was interesting. I didn't know how I was going to do that. Like how how Talia was going to react uh, to that. And um she did a couple things that surprised me because apparently I have no control over my characters. None of us do. Um one was actually she looked at James and Grimm first. Yeah. Right before she basically killed her. As if to almost ask permission or saying, like, you have one chance to stop me if you want this person to be brought in, like, legit. And James and Grimm both made the decision to just let her do it. Yeah. So that was interesting. I didn't, like, like beforehand, you could attribute Talia having this, like, single-mindedness as, like, I'm not going to stop till they're dead kind of a- attitude. But then when faced with the actual situation... She looked to the authority figures to make sure that, 
like what I'm I'm about to do this, so you have to like if you need me to stop. If you mm-hmm. got something to say about this, tell me now. And that surprised me because I don't think she would have done that when we first like in season one. It yeah, really definitely. speaks to her growth, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't a sweet victory. And I don't know if I, that came across as much as oh, it, it was this weird release. And that release hurt almost. Mm-hmm. It was almost like it was release and that was it was frustrating. Yeah. I hoped that came across that this wasn't this like, ah, uh, yes, one off my list. It's almost over, you know, kind of a thing. It felt hard. Doing that was hard. L- reliving the memories and seeing the face of the woman that helped murder her family. It was hard. Are you getting teary? No. Oh, okay. I mean, I can. Give no, me, no, you're good. Give me five minutes. <laughs> but all of that was very difficult. You know, even though it's justified, it's still it's still a hard thing to have to deal with. So I hope I, I did that correctly and that came across and that it was affecting her, but it wasn't, it wasn't a weight off as much as it was a release of pressure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but that weight's still there. Definitely. So it almost, it almost like made it worse. Like it wasn't like one off the list, like then, and and now I can feel relief. It's like one off the list and I have still have so much to do. Yeah. Speaking of one off the list, then we get a look at another person on the list pretty soon after that. Walker showed up. Walker showed up. Mm. Talia got cocky. Talia got cocky. Got cocky? I mean, she's always cocky. Yeah. But she definitely was... I mean, again, restraint. Mm-hmm. As soon as she saw who it was, she didn't kill him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and she could have justified that. Oh, definitely. Like, he had a gun. Yeah. Pulling a gun. He could have killed him right then and there. Yeah. I don't think she saw who it was yet at first. No. But she when she shot the hand. But seeing then seeing who it was, she could have justified that, oh, I... Oh, how unfortunate. Yeah. Like, he had a gun. Yeah. There would not have been a single person in that crowd, aside, well, aside from the other 42nd members, but, there, like, no person in authority in that town that would have brought you in for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I, again, this kind of goes to Talia's personal code that there is a right and a wrong way to do this. Yeah. And I'm going to do this the right way. Mm-hmm. I think at this point she had started taking the DMP because at this point they had started getting referred to as they're the ones that handled Yaldin. Mm-hmm. And they're in that created this sense of responsibility. And it kind of kicked in Talia's pack mentality, mm-hmm. which was you're in a you're in a position of authority. You take that seriously. Mm-hmm. You have to protect people. So at this point, that is kind of kicked in. Yeah. And, you know, so her sense of responsibility is starting to show itself. And by doing that, you know, again, she looks to James and Graham, the two in authority at the moment, when she kill- before she kills Melody to make sure that, you know, they're okay with it. She doesn't kill Walker outright because that's not the right way to do it. Yeah. As much as she fucking wants to. She yeah. even threatens. She's oh, just yeah. like, I, I I know who you are. Yeah. And I'm coming for you. Yeah. Yep. You know. But and then even with Delilah, or even um when the like the reason they were hiring Delilah Delilah was to get dirt on Brown so they could bring him in the right way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because being a vigilante is not going to work. Mm-hmm. 
and it it kind of shows in the progression as as we go and i thought that that was that that i think was the the moment for me as the player to be like this character is growing mm-hmm. yeah and i'm gonna move with that yeah and i think that that was really really it was, cool it was good it was yeah. really good and then we had the uh uh one of the best cliffhangers in the series so far with the uh the time bomb <laughs> oh that <laughs> was so i had fun good. with that one i had fun with that one that was so good especially just with the tick 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 and then you have play out music yeah i love that it doesn't start with the next episode starts with Celine. Yeah, yeah, I love that so much. It's, it, it was so fucking cinematic that like you cut away from the bomb and then go to what's going on elsewhere. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was I think that was the start of the like the the well Zachariah was the start of the big cliffhangers at the end of season one. But you expect a cliffhanger at the end of a season. Mm-hmm. But I think this one started the no no. The entire season, the entire show. Mm-hmm. We're gonna do some fun cliffhangers. We're, we're gonna we're gonna keep this interesting. Yeah. yeah, and I thought that that was that was a lot of fun to like start with Celine in the next episode. So you're just like, what happened? <laughs> and I mean, I'd like to think that we use our cliffhanger powers responsibly. I hope so. There's too. not cliffhangers yeah. all over the place. There's just when you know when there's a real good one. It's like ah, we we've got to. I gotta. Yeah. Yeah. And I I will assure people that, you know, we're not going to reuse cliffhangers as like much. Um, I know that there's one cliffhanger that comes up, which we'll get to. Uh, That cliffhanger can technically get used over again in season three, but I'm not gonna. Yeah. I just. Well, we're we're going to continue to try to use our cliffhanger powers responsibly so that it doesn't get one. It doesn't get boring and it doesn't get frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like a lot of podcasts that do that constant cliffhanger thing. It it usually only happens when we've got a really good one. Mm -hmm. And so we hope that the cliffhangers are (laughs) poignant. Fresh. Poignant. Yeah. Um, I do have a policy, though, on Discord, if you're on there. Uh, I have have like all three of us, I think, actually. Uh, All three of us have kind of major chronic anxiety. Yeah. And one of the things that I know can cause a lot of anxiety is cliffhangers. So um, I actually have this policy on Discord that if a cliffhanger is stressing you out to the point where you're like having a physical reaction to it, because I have had that happen to me during the game yeah where molly will like have us run through something and i'll be like we can't you can't leave it here i can't handle it we need to keep going yeah um and we will and she'll accommodate and we'll keep playing until we've figured out what happens you know towards the end of that um i have a similar policy on discord that if you need to come to me and say look that cliffhanger was great but it's causing me anxiety and you did to tell me like what happens immediately after if you dm me privately mm-hmm. i will i will let you know because like i get anxiety and i you know so we're not one of those podcasts that is just like you're gonna have to wait and see yeah we appreciate that you do mm-hmm. but if you are having a lot of anxiety you can dm me when we say one. at the beginning of every episode we strive to make this podcast safe and enjoyable for everyone we really do mean it yeah, yeah. i truly do mean it i have a we have um a patron that I I love to death. And she had contacted me during the beginnings of like season one. 
And she had mentioned that she has um, a family issue that can cause a lot of anxiety that also stuff happening in the game triggers that. Mm -hmm. So every time something like that pops up, I let her know. It's like, hey, just so you know, in this episode, this is what's going to happen. And another thing that we've been doing is like episodes that are heavy gunfight or have triggering things like spider noises or anything like that yeah. will will release a a safe episode. a safe episode mm-hmm. on that has a lot of those those more intense uh sound effects taken out yeah. because we know how triggering that sort of thing especially we live in the US where gun violence is a real problem and so hearing gunshots can be very triggering and so yeah, especially... Which is why we don't use them a lot. I We made a decision very early on when it came to, like, actual gun sounds, like, during combat. Because, yeah. like, everybody uses guns in this world. It's a Wild West. Yeah. And, like, I know how all of us feel about actual, like, physical guns, which, you know, most of us are, like, for, you know, gun control. Yeah. Or not most of us. All three, all four of us, I know, that are involved with the podcast uh, we're, we're for gun control. Yeah. yeah. Um, better gun control laws. Yeah, better gun control laws. And, you know, but this game that has a lot of combat that involves gunfire, we made a decision early on that if we ha- constantly have that, it's going to either, like, it's going to get really annoying or it's going to, like, give people anxiety. Yeah. And I we didn't want to do either of those two things. So if we do have a gunshot, it's very, very poignant. Yeah, it's very specific. And one of them was Melody. Yeah. Because yeah. there have been a couple of times where um, a gunshot here would be really good. And so we've put it in, but with that idea of... But we're going to have a safe episode and have a heavy trigger warning at the beginning with a timestamp. Yeah. Yeah. So we do our best. Like, I'm less worried about spoilers as much as I'm worried about people's safety. Yeah. And I and I know that that's I hope that's something that we can stand out for a little bit because I don't know of a lot of podcasts that do that heavy of warnings mm-hmm. when it comes to that sort of thing. So I hope I, I know that the, from the feedback we've been getting that people really appreciate that. And um, that's something we're going to continue to do. And I don't care if it spoils anything. Um, I would rather people be safe. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Moving on from that, we get into Death Whisper. Yeah. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, that wasn't acting. Yeah. That was not. I mean, it was acting, but uh, those emotions were very real. (laughs) uh for everybody actually like megzi's dad had my my dad had just had just passed away a couple months before and so it was very difficult for me to to be there yeah um i my i lost my mom for an illness so reliving like that it felt very real to like walk into a hot like basically a hospital bed Mm -hmm. or a deathbed and yeah it was it was very that was a hard thing to to act through yeah um but the emotions were very real yeah uh, th- this was actually also something that came from the beta test as well this idea that that death's whisper was death's scythe mm-hmm. and it has a job a responsibility it was a little different in its original 
incarnation uh and i liked the change that i made because originally it caused the death right it was like okay this person's time is up time is like time for them to die now so i think that's a uh, also a good illustration of the difference between the grim reapers way of dealing of handling death versus the undertaker the yeah. undertaker has this idea of once your measurements are up it's time to cross the door but the idea of when your measurements are up have this i have this degree of fluidity yeah whereas your time being up with the grim reaper it's like it's your time yeah doesn't matter like, if you if that doesn't matter if you're not dead it's your if, if it's your time to go you go yeah it's and like, i am here to collect yeah I don't care that you don't want to come. Yeah. It's time. But that this is that was actually an early kind of point of contention with between you and me, Chris, mm-hmm. because and this also this gets into a couple of things, but Chris, you were explaining to me how Molly had described how Death Whisper operated in the beta test. Mm-hmm. And I'm like Selena's not going to be okay with that. Yeah. Because in Selena's eyes, that's murder. Because this person was alive and had gotten out of this accident. Can you explain a little bit of, of what happened? Well, the way yeah. It had worked in the beta test. So it was after this uh, a, a kind of a similar situation, a battle in a town. And people were kind of cleaning up afterwards. And this guy was... This guy, this poor guy, was digging through the rubble of his house. (laughs) Already everybody went, aww. Yeah. And as he was digging through the rubble in his house, the player had to come up behind him, the time frozen, with the scythe. Just swiped it through him. And at first, nothing seemed to happen. But then after he walked away the guy's house collapsed in on him. Right. So it triggered his... His death event. Yeah. And I remember, Chris, when we were talking about this, I was like, that's going to be really difficult for Celine because as far... If that happens, Celine's going to see that as you just murdered that person. Right. And the murder is different from the killing that Celine and Talia do. Because when Celine and Talia kill people, they're justified. <laughs> At least that's what they tell themselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> At least in Celine's mind, there's a justification for the when when they're being attacked or they're on the battlefield and they have to kill people. This is murder, which is different. Yeah. And that was kind of a, a long discussion between you and I, Chris, because I didn't know how Celine was going to react anything but badly to that. Mm-hmm. And as it turned out, that didn't happen at all. With that, Celine didn't react badly at all. Yeah, no. and it yeah. was the lesson we learned then is to not try and plan things and not try to preempt how a character is going to react to something. Yeah, and it gets into Chris is amazing in that. They, don't frown at me. They can hear <laughs> Molly can tell them everything she has planned everything and chris can stay in character and doesn't affect them at all if i hear a single spoiler i'm like wait hang on i gotta remember what i know versus what my character knows and how i feel versus how my character feels i'm just i'm garbage with spoilers i'm just awful with it and so i i can't hear what's going to happen and this was a good example of that because I was trying to preempt how Selena's is going to react to this thing. Yeah. It turned turned out to be okay in the end. It was a good lesson of like, right, don't try and predict how people are, you know, how your character is going to 
react to a thing. But more importantly, uh, one step beyond that, now it's you can hear things to a degree. You can have discussions about what might happen in the future of this game, Mm -hmm. but don't set what you think, how you think your character is going to react in stone. Yeah. Because a lot of things can change and just be willing to change up what your character, what you think your character is going to do on the fly. Yeah. And that is definitely, that's what happened is especially in the moment, just like, Tally is going to swish the scythe through this old guy laying on the bed. Yeah. And he's going to, like, have a heart attack or something. Like, what yeah. the fuck? No, I want it, it, it. In the moment, it turned out to be a lot more peaceful than mm-hmm. I had initially thought it was going to be. And and it was it was much more of that guiding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it made sense in context because the like the old the beta test of of Death's Whisper didn't make sense in context um, with the new game, which was Death's Whisper's, like the way that I always envisioned it, and I thought the way Molly had originally like explained it, was that when someone is born, Death's Whisper is still getting that list of someone yeah. who is born. And if nothing in that person's life changes and everything is identical to the way that it, it it's supposed to go. Yeah. And no, no, there's absolutely no variation in any way, shape or form. Then if death whisper is in the right place at the right time, they will take that life will, you know, however, if one thing changes, if they go left when the, their life, you know, their, their lifeline said they were supposed to go right. That changes everything. And yeah. when Death Whisper was attached to the Grim Reaper, the Grim Reaper was getting updates constantly. Yeah. Like, it was constantly refreshing. Like, he was able to kind of keep up with all those changes. Yeah. So if they are... So if they meet with somebody that had one of those, like, alter... Like, something altered, and he didn't get the memo, they're not... You know, Death Whisper isn't going to pick up on the fact that it's now this person's time, which is why there's not constantly... Yeah. It's like, okay, go get that guy, go get that guy. Whereas here is an example of somebody whose life had literally followed exactly the way that fate, for for lack of a better term, had predicted it would. And this was the end of it. Yeah. And Death Whisper just happened to be in the right spot. Yeah. At the right time for Talia to make that move. And it, it didn't really make sense for him to cause the problem. No, yeah. cause the death anymore. Yeah. The way you described it to me, Molly, was death is a computer. It was running GrimReaper.os now it's running Undertaker.os, except for one line of code, which is DeathWhisper.exe. Yeah. That's still going. <laughs> yeah. DeathWhisper.exe got, like, got separated on accident yeah. from Grim Reaper, from the Grim Reaper folder. <laughs> And now it's just doing what it's normally done, but it doesn't have any like connection to the it, lines of code coming in. Yeah, it doesn't have a program to update its information, it's to, to constantly update its information. It's just going off of what it sees. It's just like, okay. <laughs> I guess I'll keep doing what I'm I was doing. doing my best, yeah. okay? <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was an interesting thing. Uh, uh, like, I knew that was going to happen. I didn't know when. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how Molly was going to do it. I just knew that, that that was going to happen. And it was extremely hard, even though that was technically very easy. 
Um, it was peaceful. It was very peaceful, but it it just like that's when Talia realized just exactly what this was. And it wasn't necessarily that she led someone to the door. I think she was hung up on that for a little while because of she got to see immediately the after effect of Raven breaking down and knowing what she went through with her family, losing her family, like all of that kind of like hit her really hard. Um, but I think the thing that goes back to her, what she's discovering is a very strong sense of protectiveness and responsibility is that she fixated on the idea that the first person that had this before her was John Zinn. Yeah. And there was nothing about that guy that indicated that he didn't relish having the power to like throw somebody into the underworld or something like that. Like of all the horrific things that Tally could think of, the idea that the last moments of your mortal existence stuck in this like limbo state of life and death is a madman that wants to see you in pain yeah or fear or torture you know something along those lines and that horrified her so badly that this responsibility became extremely serious to her and she was determined to make it to you know she was determined to make sure that she did not ever do that Mm -hmm. and it it kind of that's one step closer in her in her journey of having this sort of deep responsibility that's all i gotta say on that what happened immediately after that uh she ran away didn't you go to the mountain didn't i follow you yeah did we get married no when did (laughs) we get married we got married when we got to crane shaft Oh, we missed that. Oh. Oh, yeah. We also got married. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's so, it's like, <laughs> like oh. we're in season, what, six, seven? So we're, we're recording the end of season six right yeah, now. Yeah, they've been yeah. married for so long. So it's just like, <laughs> when did we get married? They're still married. I knew we married. got married in Crankshaft. I just, I, I always forget when. I always think it's this point. No, it's no, it when they, earlier, yeah, yeah, when they got to Crankshaft and like checked in with Raven. It's like, oh, we should go check on the. We should go check on Quartz and go up there. He's fine. It's just like, you know what? I really like you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she proposed. And John showed up. Yeah. yeah thanks, John. Uh, rolled a 100 on a D100. So it was just like. I will say he did give them a gift that has been like. Abused. It has not been abused. <laughs> it has been, been thoroughly been, utilized. It is yes. useful as shit. Yeah. Abused my ass. We abuse. No, no, no. The door gets abused. The door gets abused. Yeah. Again, utilized. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be the first to admit it. We abuse the fuck out of that door. But I think it makes sense. Yeah. In the context, I mean, everybody would be doing. It's not like we're we're using it to break the game. No. But not not just a little, just a little bit. Well, so getting uh, back into this, we were talking about uh, Death's Whisper and the death of. Blitzen. Blitzen Crankshaft. Crankshaft, yeah. And from there, we get into Raven's deal. Right. Because she lied. She lied. And afterwards told Talia. Why did she tell Talia? That was something I always wondered. Because I know that Talia kind of latched onto her pretty early on and like went, mine, I like you, you're a friend. But I never. But Raven didn't really have that same sort of like reaction to her as much as just like, oh yeah, I know you kind of. 
But why it, did she tell Raven? Or why did Raven tell her? It was really this kind of... No, it was really kind of this act of... Uh, I don't know if desperation is the right word, but this... Like, needs to tell somebody. Yeah, something is wrong. My dad is dead. And I think I have feelings, or I feel like I should have more feelings than I'm having. Right. It needed to be said. Something was wrong, and she needed to tell somebody. Right. You're really... Like, she saw you as really the only person who would understand, because... Brass hammer. It's just like, oh, it's all right, lass. You know, it's your father's died. It's gonna take some time for that to actually hit. And right. by the time she like he would have realized anything was wrong, it would have been way too late. Right. Talk a little bit about how you because the deal was for Raven's soul. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about how souls function. As far as we know right now. As far as we're aware right now, souls are kind of the driving force of a body. It is, it isn't necessarily the spirit. There is a connection there though. There, there, there is a connection between soul and spirit, but you, at this time you guys aren't really sure what that connection is. Mm-hmm. And a body can go for a time without its soul, without its driving force. It's just that the body will just kind of wind down without mm-hmm. it, start to become less and less of a person. So what was happening with, was that what was happening with Raven? That, that is what was happening with Raven. She had gone from creating these drones to basically pushing off all projects aside from just repair work on things she had created a long time ago things like the power hammers and stuff like that without that driving force that spark of creativity she wasn't able to make anything new and that was becoming more and more apparent to her which was another driving force in her telling you right i don't think it was all that clear in the actual at the actual moment i don't well i know but that's what we hear yeah yeah that's what we're we're doing that's why we're doing this yeah yeah That was also supposed to be one of the first instances that you guys had of a broker deal going sour. Mm -hmm. Right. Because Victoria Gresham had a deal with the broker as well, which is something we didn't get to talk about in the season one discussion. That is very true. That's right. And we never really, like, figured out anything about that. Right. Well, she was, you know, she was so forthcoming with information. Right. Yeah, so this was really the first I like idea that you had of a broker deal gone sour because you were aware of Talia's deal, Raven's deal, and Victoria's deal. And up until this point, all that we knew about Raven's deal was that he needed a favor, mm-hmm. and it was undisclosed what that favor would be. Yeah, and Victoria's deal was plant this tree. Plant this tree. Mm-hmm. This, and then your discussion with uh, Marla. Oh right! Oh, right! Oh, I do remember Marla. Yeah. Oh man! Like talk about another mistake. <laughs> can you talk a little bit about that mistake? Yeah. Since, uh... No, that, that that was actually one of the next thing in my notes. Ah, okay. Just transitioning. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Marla. She was based off, and I, when I say based, I should more say copy paste from no no inspired by okay yeah. our lawyers say you have to say inspired by got it okay so uh marla 
have uh, inspired inspired by there you go by a character by the name of Marla Mason at the time one of my favorite book series a highly problematic book series but one of your favorites nonetheless at yes. the time yeah I feel kind of bad because you met me and then everything you loved you realized was bad <laughs> and it's like it's like oh yeah I really like this it's like ooh yeah Slowly, we dismantled every single thing you loved. <laughs> you help no, you help me appreciate them in a different context. Ah, uh, yes. that's a that's a that's a good spin. Good yeah, job. Yeah, take that's... a point of inspiration. <laughs> See how easy that is to say, Molly. That's all those. That's all you have to say. Those those words in succession. It's super easy. Uh-huh. I promise. Uh, yep, it's okay. not hard. It doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, uh, so Marlo was heavily inspired by this. Uh, by this book series, and I had this idea that the character would come in and kind of be, just be another NPC, be a a helper, but then there was, then, then the fight happened in Crankshaft, and I was like, okay. Because we were ready to adopt Marla, too. Yeah. She was next on the adoption docket, was like, this is my wife, this is my new wife. We also had no context because we had never read the book. Yeah, so like no. we couldn't be like, oh, it's it's Marla. Yeah, and right. we were just like, oh, this is another cool NPC. No, and it was definitely a for for me. It was like, okay, this was cool, but also she's kind of overpowered as fuck. Yeah, why well, you think we wanted to adopt her? Yeah, and then there was just the whole thing of she is. I will continue to say heavily inspired. Yes, say heavily inspired. The lawyers say we have to say heavily okay. inspired. Yes, heavily inspired. Yes. By a character. So I decided that instead of a regular NBC, it would be a cameo from, ah. uh, from a thing that I love. Which is pretty common in... in people running their own home games is yeah. people putting in stuff that they like from other media that they enjoy, which makes this a unique situation in making a podcast because as much as we don't like to talk about it, copyright is a thing. Copyright is a thing. Luckily, this is loose enough that it's like, it, it wouldn't really hold up that yeah. well. But like, copyright, I'm a lawyer's daughter, I can't help it. Copyright is a thing. And also, it's just like, when you're running a game for your friends, it's fine because everybody's kind of like in on whatever whatever reference you're yeah. making. Yeah. When you're doing it for an audience, it can come off really like, I'm just copying things that are better than what I've got. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the thing. I've done better than Marla Mason. You sure have. She gives it, like, when we met her, she gave me Delilah vibes. Yeah. yeah. And I will say now until forever, Delilah is a much better character than yeah. what you've described Marla Mason is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, again, I haven't read the books, but I love <laughs> Delilah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, we all, there's, I mean, all of us can name a piece of media that you know is is trash. You know it's problematic as fuck, but you like it. Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's mine? Teen Wolf. No, I don't like that anymore. You did. I did, but that was before I realized it was trash. Uh, uh, Nora Roberts books. Yeah, there's a handful of Nora Roberts books that I really, there's really, There's a lot of really Nora, like. Nora Roberts books they like. No, there's not. Yeah, there is. They got a whole fucking library of One, them. two, three, six, seven, eight, eight. 
That's a lot. That's not a lot. That's a lot. That is not compared. Okay, compared to what's the other book that book series that you like? Molly, don't don't nod your head and agree. What's that other series? The Dresden Files. We listened to half of that book. No, no, not even. Three not even. hours of it. Three hours of that fucking book, and all he was talking about was the hotness of the women. He, we met we met four women. And he detailed each of them on how hot they were, including the, the half-eaten corpse. The expl- it was exploded. Oh, excuse the me. The exploded corpse <laughs> got excuse rated me. on if she was fuckable. And it was like, would, would smash. Yeah. <laughs> would still smash. How many of those books exist? 16? Yeah. Eight isn't that much. What's something that I like that's really problematic? I mean, besides Harry Potter? I don't really like Harry Potter that much. Yeah, I was gonna say it's like you're not that into Harry not Potter. Not really. I'm just kind of. It's like I, I know about it with like fandom osmosis. It would would be Game of Thrones, but Game of Thrones is dead to me. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. It's like once you realize, um, I, I I know there is something. Like I could name a bunch of things that I like. Ghostbusters mm-hmm. doesn't pass the Bechdel test, and it's capitalism at a tight. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I love it. RuPaul's Drag Race. There you yeah, go. Yeah, actually, That's yeah. Just, just oh, it's pleasure. more like shameful. Shameful pleasure. I saw a thing that I almost shared with you that was like, if you, like. I saw this. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Like, like, why can't, like, if you cancel JK Rowling but not RuPaul. Yeah. It's like, no, no, you don't get it. I've canceled RuPaul. <laughs> I still enjoy his garbage show. No, I'm not excusing any of his okay, any good. of his behavior. No, no, he's garbage. Okay, good. No, no, no. Yeah. RuPaul's a trash person, but you know, I'm also not going to blame you for liking his show. It's entertaining as shit. I mean, I'll give you the ultimate like. I will give you the ultimate shameful pleasure. Howard Phillips Lovecraft. That is my ultimate oh, shame. Oh yeah. I'm obsessed with his stories, and they are fucking problematic as all get out. But I join the majority of queer fans that take his stuff and basically remake it mm-hmm. to make it, like, not stupid and also make sense. Yeah. You know, because he can't write very well. Yeah. I mean, he can. He can write very well. He just adds in words. He's like Shakespeare. He just made shit up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sounded well, good. Yeah. So getting back a little bit on track, probably like <laughs> problematic works, problematic characters, uh, Marla was a uh, a problematic favorite, if a problematic insert mm-hmm. that I fairly quickly took out of the game and told you guys that Marla would not be back. And I was sad because I didn't get what was going on, and then I was informed, and I was like, "Well, I'm still sad." I think she was my wife. I think that like recognizing that as fast as you did, though, like immediately going, "Ooh, this is was not a good idea," and then taking it out. Mm-hmm. Good call. You know, it's a good call. Yeah. Like I know, like like that. This this isn't a story that has concrete like facets to it. This mm-hmm. isn't a story that we made and are now producing. It's a story that is ongoing that is changing constantly. Yeah. So, you know, mistakes happen and all we can do is be like, well, never doing that again. Yeah. And I like to think that I've grown a lot, especially from like going orcs are a Native American metaphor. Yeah. To to now. Yeah. Uh, Yes. Yes. You've done. I would I would say that you've 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 grown a bit since then. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say you're you're, yeah. (laughs) A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. Okay. Well, well, from 
From Marla, we also do hear, though, about other deals that have gone sideways. Ah, yes, with the broker. Yeah. Things that uh, just kind of added to, okay, what is actually going on with this person, this individual? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Although I will say my favorite thing about her was when she snapped the... (gasps) The Celine was like, be still my ass. (laughs) Can you, can you tell me that story again? That's actually the first indication we get as players. Like, uh, like we know because we're into, like, history and folklore and all that bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I remember in season three, Molly introduced something to us. And I'm like, oh, it's that. And she's like, shh, you're not supposed to know that yet. <laughs> um, so we consciously knew that Iron and Faye were not friends. Mm-hmm. But that's the first time in game that our characters learned yeah. that Iron and Faye are not friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're not even on talking terms. Yeah. yeah. It's just snap and hand was gone. We'll talk about this a little bit later, but the way that you have the way that Iron behaves with fairies and fairy material is interesting, but we'll get to that when we get to the Beware the Fellow part. Mm-hmm. We'll actually get to that a little bit more when talking about uh, Tina. Yeah. That ah, was yes. that was you you did use iron in Beware the Fellow, but you mm-hmm. use it a lot more with uh <laughs> Yeah, we'll get to that yeah. when we get to Tina. From Crankshaft, you guys then proceeded to infiltrate the Vanasi. Before that we had a fight. That is right. That was one of the things I had to... Because uh, oh, before the we infiltrated the Venasi, there was a second deal, too. There was. You're right. You How skipped could I a forget? whole bunch of stuff. How could I forget? How could you forget? That, let's, let's back it up a little bit. Yeah. So after Crankshaft. So after Crankshaft and after learning this information about the broker, this that deals can go sour. What would be a, what, what a. <laughs> what a moment. <laughs> what a, there was never a better time. I never said she was smart. And she sure isn't. <laughs> we get a third instance of Talia. Making a deal. Making a making deal. Making a bad decision. And a, yeah. And what, what? Um, I am, I have a type. I have a type, and it's people that make bad life choices. <laughs> I like them stupid and overly confident about their stupidity. Uh, Don't look at me. Such a call out. <laughs> if you haven't seen that TikTok, I'll link it. It's funny. Anyway. Um, but yeah, she uh, she made another deal. She didn't want to at first. She actually tried to get out of, like, do we have to make a deal? Can't we just make like a gentleman's agreement kind of a thing? But I didn't roll high enough. And Talia was afraid that if she didn't, then Raven's soul would just be lost to her. So that was weird because she she knew what she was doing was was skirting a line. And she didn't think that this was the best idea, but she knew it was an idea. But she knew that like this might be my only chance to help Raven. Yeah. And boy, the boy, howdy, the broker was leveraging that. Yeah. And so like she made again, she made a quick decision of like, this is might be my only chance to help Raven. So I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do my best to make sure that it is within like she she worded it in such a way that it's like you will immediately return Raven's soul in the exact condition you found it. You know, it's like she tried to word it in a way that 
would mean specifically everything would go okay. Yeah. Because before uh, that, I think it's in, at one point in season two before that it had been revealed that your deal, that Talia's deal with the broker, the first one, was not as straightforward as you had thought. No, she was very naive. Talia was extremely naive when she took the first deal. Yeah. That was that was just her like, yes, you'll help me. I'll do whatever you want kind of a thing. Yeah, and it... Because she was desperate. Was... She hadn't gotten... She had not heard anything. She was desperate for any sort of information. And uh, it, it turned out the broker didn't actually give her anything. Nothing. And that's the best kind of deal for him is when... He gains everything and gives nothing. Yeah. And at that point, Tally was just like, okay. Also, Celine slapped him when she found out. Yes, that was, <laughs> yeah, it was beautiful. Um, but like, like Tally like, didn't know how to feel about it. And it was just like, I could be mad about this, but I did get this whisper. I know I would have gotten him anyway, because we were, to, we were going to Blue Peak anyway. Yeah. But there's nothing I can do about that right now. Yeah. So the next one, she was just like, okay, I'm going to make sure that this doesn't bite me in the ass. And she did. It was successful. But the whole point of the deal, as we found out, was not to necessarily what the outcome was or wasn't from the deal. It was the deal making part itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is what Would Celine figured drive out. Drive a wedge between the two of them. Yeah. I actually had this one written down in my notes as something to talk about because uh, leading up to this, me at the table as Tali was making the second deal, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> like, I wasn't angry as a person, like as a player, but I was like, I don't know how this is going to turn out. Like, this, Celine is not going to be happy about this. And I had kind of not a good idea of how this was going to shake out. And so, Chris, you and I talked about it. Mm -hmm. And, like, immediately after this deal was struck, I was also like, I was looking at Molly, like, kind of suspiciously, like, I know why the broker made this deal. I've got you, I've got you figured out. And so, Chris, you and I talked about it. Like, yeah. okay, this could go south. This could go sideways really quickly. Yeah. So, how do we want to approach this? We we talked about how the fight was going to go, and um, it was one of the instances where it's like we we didn't discuss Celine initially getting upset, um, but we discussed talking about it mm -hmm. and how it was going to go, and we planned. And I know, like, you're not really supposed to do that in D&D, &D, but for us, it was it was really important because when you have emotions running that high, we want to make sure both of us are okay. Mm -hmm. And this is acting. Yeah. So we, you know, and, and you don't see it, but there are, there was a couple of times where we, like, had to stop just to, like, gather whatever we were going to say. And we check in with each other. It's like, you okay? It's like, oh, yeah, I'm okay. But then we go back to, like, angry voice. Yeah. And... Mm -hmm. And that fight, so that fight was semi-choreographed. We had points we had to hit that we wanted to, like, bring up. Like, okay, if she brings up this, Talia's going to bring up this. Mm -hmm. If Talia brings up this, then she's going to bring up this. And, like, because Migsy had already figured out, kind of, I think this is what is going on. She was planning on, within that fight, figuring it out. Having Celine figure it out. Mm -hmm. And it worked it was, out it really, really, really well. It was planning to have her figure it out. I was hoping she would. Because, like, I wasn't be like, and she's going to have the brilliant realization of what's going on. But if if the fight could turn that way, yeah, I was going to give her the opportunity to. Yeah. And I think her figuring out was a big deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it was. Oh, that's it was such a good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh, oh she got so cocky. Oh, she, she so it out. did. Oh, it's funny. But that, that, oh man, I, the broker was so peeved. He was. <laughs> he was real peeved. <laughs> I think, now was he more peeved that Sleet had figured it out or that she was rubbing it in his face that she'd figured it out? Yes. Gotcha. <laughs> mm, I understand. <laughs> I see. I remember when we recorded that. That was, I think we had just started releasing season one when we recorded that. Mm -hmm. And I was already anxious about how that was going to play out in mm -hmm. the release. And one that was being released, I actually had to take a pretty substantial mental health break because for those of you who don't know, I have borderline personality disorder and it's something that I have to contend with or else it will get out of control and I'll just become... You, your, your emotions run very high and it's uh -huh. hard to see things yeah. in focus. If I'm not really careful with it, my emotions can run really high and can get out of control really quickly. And so I had to take a substantial social media break because I was so anxious about what people were going to think and say, because I think there was a part of me that was like, Celine is in the wrong here. I I then I, I wonder if that's like just being myself being overly critical. I think it was being overly critical because I think the way the interesting thing about this story is that especially when it comes to Tally and Celine, there are a few cases where you can clearly see one is right and one is wrong, but those instances are very very few and far between. Mm -hmm. The majority of the time it's very much I can see both sides. Yeah. I see why Celine is upset and I see what to where Tally is coming from. But both of them need to chill the fuck out and, like, talk in normal voices. Yeah. I think because Celine is so emotional that I always assume that no one is going to understand her point of view or agree with it. Well, the, pro the thing is, is that, like, the narrative in a lot of cases has always pointed towards, like... Rationality is something that you're supposed to strive towards and being yeah. emotional and letting your emotions get the way of your rational behavior is less. It's also uh, this idea of femininity. Yeah, rationality yeah. is often seen as a masculine trait Ugh. and like clear headedness is seen as like a masculine trait. Whereas it, high emotions and, you know, quote unquote, getting hysterical is more of a female trait. Mm -hmm. And it's it's stupid and doesn't make any sense. But being that Celine is even in, in their even in her look, is so much more feminine than Talia. Yeah. I didn't want them to fall into this idea of Talia as being the reasonable manly type and Selena as being hysterical woman type. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I think in that fight, Talia very clearly, like, she had her reasons, but admits immediately that she did, like, immediately after she made the deal, she was just like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck, I fucked up. Like, I think the, the, thir the first thing she said is, my wife's gonna kill me. Yeah. Because she knows immediately... I made the wrong choice. Fuck me. Mm -hmm. Like that was her first reaction. And so she knows going into this, like, I know I'm in the wrong. And then Celine brought up a bunch of other points, which kind of led to like more things coming up. But in that fight, Celine had every right to be upset with Talia. Yeah. Like every fucking right. And I think a lot of, and I think the audience was very, like whether the audience agreed with why Talia, like Talia's saying, this is why I did it. Someone could go, I understand why she did it. On the other side, you could also say, but I understand why the fuck Celine's upset. Yeah. yeah. And I think, and that, that's what we are always striving for is 
for you to be able to see both sides and being just like, this is really sad that these two have to be in this situation and not necessarily, oh, Selena's being so irrational or, oh, Talia's being so... Talia's being so inconsiderate and selfish. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, for me, in a lot of... Not not in every circumstance, but a lot of circumstances, it's important for me to see both sides of the situation, even if there is a clear, like, this person is right and this person is wrong. I still like to understand why each person thinks the way they do. Mm -hmm. And I think that was really important for us to see, and we got to see it with... Italian, Celine, yeah. in this, this circumstance. This goes back to, again, the kind of love story we're trying to tell is that they have fallen in love already and the honeymoon period is kind of over now. And that's okay. But now they have to learn, if they want to stay together, they have to learn to be together and try to romanticize some of those things that are sometimes painful. Sometimes those are growing pains, but romanticize the idea of growing together instead of just moving apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And fights happen. This was their first real big fight. They had kind of a little one after the deal with Death's Whisper, but it, it didn't really go anywhere. It kind of just fizzled out, and mm-hmm. which is fine. But this was their first real fight. And the thing that I come back to is that, yeah, they they resolved it, sort of, but there's still this kind of underlying tension between the two of them mm-hmm. as a result of it. There was no resolution. There was more of just a, an agreement, like we're going to stop. And I mean, there was a little bit more of a resolution because Celine went to take a bath. And, yeah, and, and they kind of talked about it, but there's still a, a weird little tension between them. They, they don't quite know what to do with this because I think at this point they can see the other side, but they don't agree. <laughs> yeah. Like, I get where you, what you were trying to do and where you were coming from and it's all turning out, it's all going to turn out okay, but I still can't really forget, at least for Celine, I still can't really forget that you did this thing. Yeah. And I, and I don't know if I can trust you to not do it again. And Talia has come to the realization that someone that she is married to is very different from her and how she understands relationships. Um, because to, like Celine in, in her anger kind of brought up this whole like, like, you know, you you're you know we're i'm here for the smaller decisions and the everyday decisions and blah 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 but like for the big decisions you don't include me and like for talia those small things the little things that make up the relationship that is the relationship that is such a huge part of how she shows love and how she expresses being with a partner and to have celine dismiss those that has kind of given her pause at this point so they're yeah they've both got this kind of like there there's a there's a thread of tension running along them so at this point. This was something that we talked about a little bit in the previous season in the season one discussion. But Celine's cards being scary accurate. Oh yeah, it was a couple episodes before the fight, or at least before the deal, the second deal, mm-hmm. because I forget exactly what the reading was, but one of them was the lovers inverted, which is a broken home or misalignment of values or disharmony. And I remember, and like the rest of the cards also fit into this idea of there's going to be something that shakes you as a couple. Mm-hmm. And I remember, Chris, you were at an A and you just like hit the space bar to pause and just we would both looked at each other like, holy oh my shit. God. Yeah. Yeah. 
It was really weird. Because at the time, we were just like, I don't know what that means. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll just see. And I now I've gotten to the point where when I do readings at the table, I'll say what they are, say what they mean, and kind of try to apply what I think the reading is. But then also, like, with that knowledge of, like, this might be predicting something that's going to happen a little bit later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it will be interesting to see how this manifests Yeah. as the story progresses. Yeah. Yeah. We'll finish our thoughts in part two. Thanks for listening to our thoughts about season two. The Feywild West season three will premiere on October 5th for our patrons and October 7th for the public. In the meantime, head over to all of our social media pages to see all the fun things we'll have as extras for August and September. If you ever want to chat with us and some other really amazing people, join us on Discord. We have a memes chat and everything. Stay legendary. Oh,